Well, good morning. One more time, good morning. It is good to see you today. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. I know we've got some folks still coming in and also some folks out for graduation, but we are glad you're here. Um, if you look in your worship guide, there are three announcements that I just want to call your attention to. First, the baby dedication. Um, if you need to be involved in that, there's some information for you. And then the Sons of Thunder, it's the men's event that's coming up. And then also the Come to the Well, the ladies' event. So you can see both of those. And we'd love for you to be involved. Um, last week, I totally forgot to recognize in this service three different anniversaries. Chris Gold, our preschool minister, has been doing it for five years um, on May 1st. And then Tim Gold, her husband, they came here at the same time, but she didn't start a preschool. He's been our education administration minister for 15 years as of two days ago. And yeah, and then um, Priscilla um, has been doing her, her job, her ministry, putting up with me for 14 years. And so I just wanted to show our appreciation to them. We appreciate everything they do. For the last three weeks, I was supposed to show a video, and um, I kept forgetting. So we're going to show it today. Nick, do we have that video there? The Malaysia video, yes. We took this while we were in Malaysia, and I just wanted you to see it. Got to turn the volume up real good and start over again, maybe. Unless you're a lip reader. One Hi, my Chinese name is Wu Ping, but they call me Melissa here, and I'm just sharing this very briefly with these beautiful people, Buddy, Pastor Buddy, Pastor Ryan, John, and me. And I just want to reassure the people back home, never give up on missions, because my sister and my siblings are the products of Vacation Bible School, and it all started with this gentle lady called Jessie Green. And Jessie Green has actually spoken to my parents. And as, as I shared with Ryan, you know, speaking to each other in, in the English language, it goes to our head. But to be able to speak in my mother's tongue, it comes to my heart. And that's how my parents were so convinced and so impressed. And that lays the start of the Christian journey for my family. And um, yeah. Yeah. just um, never give up, never give up, because that seed that you have sowed, you know, in fertile soil, and it's growing, and it's continuing to grow. So these are all labors of love. Thank Amen. you so much. Amen. Amen, Melissa. Jesse Green was an IMB, at that time, foreign mission, foreign mission board missionary to China when the Cultural Revolution took place, and she was kicked out. Rather than coming home, she went to Malaysia and reached Chinese believers there. 
And Melissa's one, her brother goes to China with us every time we go and translates for us. And in Malaysia, they're from Malaysia. And um, all 10 of the brothers and sisters came to Christ and are walking with Christ. And so I just want to encourage you to keep on focusing on missions. We see a result. The church I preached in while I was there in Malaysia was planted by Jesse Green, one of our missionaries. And so I just encourage you. We're a little over halfway to our Annie Armstrong goal. So let's keep giving to that and make sure that we reach it. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? We got a brand new call to worship. It's out of Isaiah. It just reminds us of who it is that we're worshiping. So let's pull that up and let's look at it for a moment. I'm going to let you read it. And um, there we go. Why don't you read it real quick and then get ready to read it out loud with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Come on, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. <laughs> Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Church, that's who we worship today. And so as we come to worship him, let's give him our worship that he deserves to get from us. We've been devoting ourselves to the public reading of scripture, and we've come to the book of Esther as we're reading through, and one of the Vanderbursts is coming to read. Who's coming? All right, come on. The good looking one, yeah. Good morning. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. <clears throat> and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Let's stay in church. Let's continue to worship. We really want to use these songs this morning. We specifically pick these to really prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, for what He has done for us. So let's sing out as we just worship Him this morning. Oh, 
And now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilt. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilt. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free.
my home and my defense. You came to seek and save the lost. You paid it all upon the cross. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me in His written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. We thank you that we can come and worship you. And Father, just lift your name up high. Father, you tell us when your name is lifted up, you will draw people to yourself. And that is our desire. That is our heart this morning in worship. Father, that we would worship you with all that we are, holding nothing back, Father. Help us just to exalt your most holy name as we continue to sing in Jesus' name.
What a powerful name 
come to you on our own but you've invited us to come and you've opened the door for us you've made a way through us to us through the cross and the resurrection and not only have you opened a way for us to pray you've opened a way for us to come into your presence into the holy place your word says we can come boldly by the blood of the lamb So we come before you today. And God, we lift up those who are hurting. We lift up those who are sick. As we did last week, we pray again for Scott Fields that he would continue to recover from his valve surgery. We pray, God, for Camille, that she would continue to get better. And we ask, God, that you would give doctors and nurses wisdom that you'd be with mom and dad and grandparents as such a tiny baby facing so many big surgeries. We just bring her to you, God, and pray that you'd bring healing in her body. God, I pray for others like A.L. and Jeff and others who are struggling with just different health issues. We lift them to you. We pray, God, that you would move in them. We pray for the lost in our families. We pray for the lost in our communities. We pray for the nations, Lord, that they would come to worship you. We ask, God, for our missionaries, that you would give them strength and boldness. Yes, protection, but boldness, Lord, that they might display the glory that you have, that you might shine through them. And Lord, we pray from Paul that that according to the riches of your glory, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being. We ask Christ that you would dwell, that you would be at home in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we'd have the strength to comprehend just how how wide and how long and how high and deep is your love for us is just displayed to us on the cross that we might know that love that surpasses knowledge and then somehow Lord as, as your apostle prayed that we might be filled with the fullness of you fill us Lord with the knowledge of your will today with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do it so that we might walk worthy of you, that we might be fully pleasing to you. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and speak to us through your word and prepare us to come to your table, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We come to the last two verses of James, making our way through this book. James chapter 1, our verses today are verses 26 and 27. So if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 
James 1 verse 26. You remember he's told us now to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In verse 19, he tells us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And now he comes in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So we've covered a lot in in this last few weeks as we've been covering the last part of chapter one. So let me just stop and remember and help you remember what we've been talking about. He tells us in verse 18 that God has brought us forth. That God brings us forth by the word of truth, that that he brings us to new life. He causes us to be born again. So God brings us forth in verse 18, and in verses 19 through 25, he tells us how to live that new life. We're new creations. The old's gone, the new has come. How do we live the life now that the Spirit of God is inside of us? And he walks us through that, and he tells us how we're to do it. It's, It's interesting. He says to us, don't just be quick to hear the word of God, listen to it, but, but as we saw last week, do it. Don't just be hearers, but do the word. And then he tells us, we saw it last week, look into the word of God like a mirror. See the changes that need to be made and then do those things. Look intently in the word of God and, and remember what he says and, and do what he tells you to do. And, and, and he carries that on by telling us that if we do that in verse 25, we'll live a blessed life. We'll be blessed in all that we do. So we see new birth that God gives to us. We see the means to the growth in, in that new life. And, and now James turns and shows us what that new life is going to look like. New birth means to new life and what that life looks like. And we're going to see that. Last week, we we looked at being doers of the word, not hearers only. So he dealt with that first little phrase, be quick to hear. But here we're going to see that he's going to tell us to be slow to speak. And he's going to show us what that means as we try to figure out how to keep the tongue under control. One of the commentators that I really like, his name is Moiter. He points out that James shows us three things about the father. He shows us that the Father cares for the helpless, that He gives His Word and saves us, and then His purpose is holiness. So He has a a, a care for the helpless, He gives us His Word of truth and saves us, and then His purpose is holiness. But He also said, James turns around and gives us three things about us, that we're to have a tongue that's controlled, we're to have a caring ministry, and a holy life. And we'll see that carried out through the book of James. And so there are these three topics that are developed in, in this passage. That, that we're to, the, the life that flows from the Word of God bringing us to life, the life that flows from the Word now being implanted in us, that life that flows leads to a caring ministry. And that's what we see in verses 1 through 26 of chapter 2. But in chapter 3, specifically, he's going to deal with a controlled tongue in verses 1 through 12. And then a holy life in chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. And so you kind of get a picture of where James is going. He's introducing what he's going to talk about for the rest of the letter. But look at verse 26, our text today. 
If anyone thinks he is religious. Now just stop there for a moment. If anyone thinks, don't just assume. I was reading in a psalmist the other day where he said, keep me back from presumptuous sins. Don't presume that you're religious. Don't just think that you got this thing down. If anyone thinks that he's religious, make sure that your actions follow what you say you believe. It's what James said last week. It's what he's saying today. He's showing us, and and if you like to write things down, write this one down. True religion is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. True religion is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. One more time. True religion is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. It's not manifested in what we say we believe. It's revealed in how we live our lives. It's revealed in how we act and in how we speak. So James gives us three tests here, three tests for us. And what he's saying is, he's not saying this is all that worship is, okay? What I'm going to share with you for the next three, next 15, 20 minutes is not all that worship is. James is not saying, here's everything about worship, but he does say this, if your worship of God doesn't have these three things, he uses the word worthless. So this is not all that there is, but it's always this. Our worship is to have these things. And so James sums it up, and let me just sum it up in three things. First of all, he gives us three tests to test our religion. Three tests to test our relationship with God. Number one, our words. Our words. Look at that, back to the text again. He says, um, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and the person's religion is worthless. Now, we're going to see a lot more about that in chapter 3, but let me just say to you, the tongue simply reveals what's inside. I've got a quick mouth. Got me in a lot of trouble growing up. Gets me in trouble now. I've got not only a quick wit and a quick mouth, I'm cursed with, with sarcasm as a love language. And I grew up where my dad and every person I was ever around picked and picked and picked. It was perfect in the athletic realm because we we bantered, and and it's one of the things I love about going in the gym, we banter toward one another. But James, James has worked on me this week. He's worked on me, and it's, it's hard to preach this because she's taking notes. And she's going to remind me of what I said. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Mm. I'm struggling with this because of my own life. James tells us the tongue reveals what's inside, but Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. 
Jesus said, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Those are strong words. I would encourage you to write them down. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 and meditate on them this week. James will criticize those who flatter the rich and humiliate the poor. He will criticize those who wish someone well but never lift the finger to help when they have the means to do so. He will, he will criticize those who claim faith but, but have no deeds to prove what they claim. He will criticize those who praise God one moment and, and curse people the next. He will criticize those who chide and slander their brothers and who make boastful plans as if they can do whatever it is they want to do and not think about what God wants. Someone's estimated that the average person speaks 18,000 words a day. Outside of Sunday and Wednesday nights, I think I speak fewer words than that. And I'm pretty convinced my daughters in their teenage years spoke a lot more. But they say that the average person speaks 18,000 words a day. So hang with me for a moment. 18,000 words a day is an equivalent of a 65-page book. So every single week of our life, we speak the equivalent of a 450-page book every single week. And here's the thing. People hear the audio version of that book. And in doing so, people are reading our book, and they're reading what we say, and they're reading what we do. They read the book of our life day after day after day, and the question for all of us is, what do they see and what do they hear? Do they see us making much of Jesus and hear us making much of Jesus, or do they hear something else? James says true religion will not just impact what we do. That was last week. But true religion will lead us to be doers of the word. But in being doers of the word, the word will impact what we say. We see why he tells us to be slow to speak. Think it through. He tells us that if we don't do that, look at the verse 26 at the end, if we don't do that, our religion is worthless. Worthless. James says it, that our relationship, our religion is worthless, and that word worthless is a word that's used to speak of the meaninglessness of idolatry. So James is pulling in some, some sacrificial language that the Jewish people would have been familiar with. He's saying that you can do all the right things, you, you can have the appearance of being what you're supposed to be, but if your tongue doesn't match your actions, last week he said your actions have to meet your tongue. Now he's saying your tongue has to meet your actions. It's, it's got to be the entire thing, that what we do and what we say comes from a heart that loves Jesus. And what he says is that's not true of us, then we're no better than idolaters. I'll just put it down a little bit more. If that's true of us, if our words aren't matched by our actions and our actions aren't matched by the, the words, if, if what comes out of us is not pleasing to God and what is done by us is not pleasing to God, then our worship is no better than pagan worship. It's not Christian. 
James says, test and test your words. But secondly, he says, look at your hands. And what I mean by our hands as we think about this is, is our hands, that's the second point, our hands, as we look at that, that's, that's what we do to help other people. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Now let's just stop there at that verse for a while. The word pure speaks of being clean. The word undefiled speaks of being without contamination. I, I want... I want pure water in this bottle, okay? I don't want someone to leave this bottle on the pulpit here and say, oh, I filled it up in the creek down, down the road. I don't want you to fill it up in the pond. I want it to be pure. I want it to be without contamination. And what's interesting is those two words were words that were used in the sacrificial system. The animals that you brought to worship God had to be pure and undefiled. They, they, they couldn't be contaminated. You couldn't take the animal that had a blind eye or the animal that had a, had a, had a bad leg and sacrifice it to God. You had to sacrifice the best. It had to be pure. It had to be undefiled because it was pointing to Jesus who would be pure and undefiled. It was all pointing to him. And so th these are synonyms of, of Old Testament worship that, that James' readers would understand. Remember, this is the earliest book written in the New Testament. He's writing to Jewish Christians who have now been dispersed because of persecution. And so they understood temple worship. He's talking about this. And, and what's interesting is, is James is the only one to use religion this way. Usually we think a religion is not a good thing. Even in the New Testament, we think a religion, I'm not in religion, I'm, I'm into relationship with God. And that's true, but, but James is again writing to Jewish believers who understood religion. They understood what it meant. And when we think about this, this, this word is what we would use for, for godliness or, or holiness. It's a word that we would use for what we're doing today, our worship of God. And what we do is we go outside, our continuum worship of God. When we think about it before, go back to the verse, he says that, you know, religion that before God the Father is this. This is pure and undefiled religion before God. To visit orphans and widows and their affliction. I, I almost didn't even say this phrase because it's, it's cliche, but, but then I said it in the first service and they acted like uh, they didn't, had never heard it before. So, so see, if you, see if you're smarter, okay? We, we don't just talk the talk, we what? We walk the, all right, most of y'all got that. We don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. We have to live this life. And, and so James is talking about that our belief must control our tongues, our mouth, but it also must control our hands in the way that we help people. And what's interesting is, if you look at this verse, James chooses the two neediest people of his day. The two neediest people of his day. There was not an abundance of jobs for widows. There was not an abundance of places for orphans to go and live. Many of them ended on the street. Many of them ended in slave labor. Many of the widows, if they were young, ended in prostitution, and others ended in destitute lives. And so there wasn't a lot for them. And so he's selecting people who are, who, who are the neediest of the day. There were no social programs there to help them until the church came along. 
It speaks specifically of, of widows and orphans who are in distress. They're, they're afflicted. True religion meets the needs of the needy. Not just the widow. Not just the orphan. But the needy. And this is all the way through the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let me give you three Old Testament passages. Exodus 22, 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 14, 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, which would be the, the refugee, the sojourner, the, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. That's just a small portion of, of a vast amount of verses in the Old Testament that says we are to visit orphans and widows. This is not a political issue. Today we talk about taking care of the needy or we talk about refugees and all of a sudden it gets political. It's not political, it's church. It's Christianity. That we are to meet the needs of those who are needy. That we are to care for those who have no one to care for them. That we are to love those who have no one to love them. This is not political. This is biblical. And what we see is, is that we're to visit the orphans and the widows. That's more than just stopping by. It's more than just stopping by and saying, hey, how you doing? To visit in this way is to, is to help in any way needed. In the first service, the flowers that were given were given in honor of many of the gossips who have gone on to be with the Lord. And of course, the one name that was not on there last year that's on this year, given Greg Gossett gave the flowers of, was Bill Gossett. I can't tell you the number of times I drove through this city and drove through other places and found Bill Gossett on a lawnmower mowing somebody's yard. A widow, a person who was in need, someone who just needed some help. I can't tell you the number of people who have done that. And you see that even in our church today. You, you drive by and you see our men building wheelchair ramps or doing other things who are constantly helping people. They're not just showing up saying, hi, how you're doing? They're, they're meeting them where they need. And here's the thing. In Matthew 25, we get this picture of the great judgment. And Jesus separates the, the sheep from the goats. And he begins to speak to the sheep and, and he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Yeah, I, was, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they said, wait a minute, wait, when did we do that? Well, he responded, but let me go to the goats. He, he goes to the goats and he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and you didn't care for me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And they said, wait a minute, when? When didn't we do that for you? And Jesus said to the sheep, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it to me. 
And he looked at the goats and he said, what you didn't do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And ultimately what comes down to the sheep and the goats in this passage is what they did and didn't do. How do we care for the least of these? There's something about caring for those who are in need. Something about it that when you do it, you're doing it to Jesus. You're ministering to him. And I think it's, you're pleasing him. You're doing what he would do. There's, there's one more thing here. We're to, we're to test our words. We're to test our hands, how we care for others. And then we're to test our hearts. Look at the last part of verse 27. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word to keep is a word that speaks of continuous action. One person said it, it, it's a perpetual obligation. We are to perpetually keep ourselves unstained from the world. We, we have to understand that, that we, we need to be aware of the danger of sin. None of us are above it. None of us reach a place that we won't fall to it. We have to continually be on the lookout, be watching. We, we can accomplish outward acts and we can do all the social justice we want, but that's not all that the church is called to do. We are called to be holy and to stay holy and to help the person. We'll see it later where, where we're told, John, he says, what good is it to, to do this and not, not minister to their soul? We, we do both. We stay holy and we, we lead other people toward holiness. We, we live in a world that calls evil good and good evil. We live in a world that's increasingly becoming more and more polluted and increasingly turning further and further from the things of God and from God himself. I read, I wasn't surprised by it, but I, I read an article, and granted, I don't know the whole story. I just read parts of it where there's a Christian college who has been using their students to go to a particular school system to do their student teaching. And the school board of that high school school system didn't want their students on their campus because they were Christian. And because they said, we believe the things of Christ. Now, I don't know the whole story, but people are turning from God himself. And we're to be light in the midst of darkness. But one of the things we have to make sure we don't do is let the darkness get on us. If I might put it in a little cruder way, we've got to change the diaper without getting the diaper on us. We've got to make sure that, that the darkness is not attaching itself to us. As, as I studied this week, I realized there's much for me to do here. And some of the prayer things in my journal are, are asking God to help me with sarcasm, especially toward my wife. There's much for us to do. I thought about our own church and what we do, and I just want to share a few things. We give to our general budget, and when you give to that general budget, you help. We support the Alabama Children's Home. Paul Miller could tell you a lot about it. He was, he was the head of it at one time. Did you know that we just give a small percentage and we were in the top, what, ninth in the state in giving the Alabama Children's Home? When you do that, 
when you give to the general budget and our offerings go to that, we, we help with the orphan, we help with the foster care, we help children who, who maybe are in a situation where they're in danger and need to be pulled out, placed in a place of safety, and then brought back into their homes. You giving to the general budget, we give to the Alabama Children's Home, and, and, and that's a ministry that our church does. We give to community missions. I just wish you could be on a fly on the wall one day of the week and watch Priscilla and Corey and Linda and Sandra when she's involved to watch them come and see the people who come into our church day after day after day for help. They're in need. Do some of them abuse it? Yes. But they're in need. And whether we're helping them with medicine or helping them with diapers or helping them with food or getting them to a place where they can get food, whatever it is, they're, they're taking care of power bills and gas bills and things that people desperately need. We're, we're, we're doing that, and it's through the money that you give to the church. Our deacons minister to our widows. And our Sunday school classes minister to many of our widows. And, and our love and care ministry brings food to them monthly. I can tell you from, from watching, my, my dad looks forward to receiving those bills. Not just the food is really good, but, but just the visit. And you understand that, that we give to the free medical clinic down the road and have people involved in that. And, and we give to the love pantry and have people involved in that. And we partner with them when we, when we give the Thanksgiving boxes away. We, we support local ministries. And, and I'm proud of those things. We give to the Ann's New Life uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center. We, we give from the budget to, to things like the Well House and other ministries. We, we give to that and we support that. And that's good, and, and, and I just want to encourage you to know that, that when you give to your local budget, you're doing that, but, but don't stop there. Look, how can you get involved? How, how, what can you do as an individual, as a family? Can you volunteer? Is God calling you to, to join other members of our church in, in the foster care? Now, it's got to be a calling. You've got to be called to do it, but, but it's not something God's called you to do, or has God called you and as a family to minister to, to those around you in need? Can, can, we provide, um, can we provide help through our schools? I've asked Chris to contact one of our local elementary schools to see how we as a church can partner with them week after week and year after year so that we can help them. Maybe, maybe you could volunteer at the Love Pantry or, or the medical clinic. I just want to encourage you to take the test that James gives you to look at your words and to look at your hands and to look at your actions and see if it backs up what you say you believe. I was studying this and I want you to turn back to 1 Corinthians. It's not going to be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I was studying this and I'm a couple of weeks ahead in my, in my sermon preparation and it's been helpful to me as I study to get it more into my mind. But I came to it and realized that next week's Mother's Day and so we were doing the Lord's Supper today. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul chastised this church. In verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And what Paul is saying is, Here's the problem with you, Corinthians. You're coming together for the Lord's Supper, but you're not taking care of the poor in your church. The rich were coming and eating and drinking and having a great time at their love meal, love feast, and, and, but they weren't meeting the needs of others. 
And he tells them, he says, let me just look at it. We'll read some of this in a moment, but he talked about what, what God gave to him, what God delivered to him in verse 23 and, and, and all the way through 26. But then he said in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I just read this book by one of the Puritans and he gave like 12, 15 ways to, to meditate and prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. And I don't want to do that today, but I do want to ask you before we come to the table, I want to ask you to look at those three things that we just talked about. Your words, your hands, in your heart. So let me just ask you, if you would, just, if you could just bow your heads for a moment. And in just a moment, deacons, we, we didn't get it announced. So if you've been ordained, be ready to help, okay? We'll need at least um, eight of you to come help us. And when everybody gets up, you come on. And we'll do it like we always do it. But, but right now, I just want to encourage you to bow your heads. You come before the Lord and ask the Lord to search you. Are there words that you've said that you shouldn't say? Have you, have you been cutting to someone? Have you hurt someone? Do you say things? I, I keep reading in Colossians and others about crude talk. Is that something that's a part of your life? Look at your words and ask the Spirit to examine you. Are there words you say outside the church that you wouldn't say in the church? God's out there just as much as he's in here. And then your hands, how you're helping people, how you're being a service to others. And in your heart, are you contaminated with the world? Are you letting the world be more of, are you more of the world than you are of Christ? Would you just examine yourself with those three things? And if the Lord shows you something, ask him to forgive you and to come in and help you repent of that, turn from that. So we're just going to, I'm going to ask Kim to come and she's going to begin to play. I think we're going to sing a song in a moment. And, but just right now, rather than standing up and singing, I want you to use this time to examine yourself. Your words, your hands heart. And you could go on with your feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Your mind, your ears, your eyes. But just focus on those three right now. If the Lord shows you something, confess that. There was a lot the Lord had to work on me, especially in the words part. There's a lot he still got to do. I confess that before you. And if I've been short and cutting to you, I'm sorry. I truly am. someone and you know you've heard them with your words and they're here 
We don't do this often, but it might be appropriate for you to just walk by or sit. You may be sitting by them and just grab their hand and say, I'm sorry. Your words, your hands and how you minister. Your heart, are you holy? Let the Spirit search you. you to keep praying, but as you're praying, I would ask the ordained deacons and others to come help me for a moment. You just keep praying. You get ready for this. Examine yourself.